Father Dave Callahan, and you're listening to The Novitiate. As for those who have been listening all the way from the beginning, you would know that this whole podcast was really designed as a training in the spiritual life for lay people. In the same way that religious and those who are you know, priests or trained to be nuns or brothers will go through a time of a novitiate, being a novice, learning the basics of the spiritual life. How do we try and take something of that and apply it into the world? You know, those who are living the life of business and family and all the other stresses and stuff that go on. Having really laid the foundations in the previous episodes, the, the foundations of understanding God's love and the mystery of sin and the whole journey of prayer, I want to now try and break open this whole journey of what it means to be a disciple. You know, what, what is this call to follow Christ? And particularly, what does that look like for a normal Catholic? You know, the, the, the culture of our church has often been hierarchical, not so much in the sense of power, but more in the sense of we've, we've, we've got like the elite group of those who follow the spiritual life 24-7. You know, those who have devoted their lives to live in monasteries or devoted to the religious life. And then you've got the ordinary people. Or at least this is the way we often think of our church. And sometimes for the average Catholic, that becomes an easy way out. That we can say, well, holiness is for them. You know, it's for the professionals. Whereas for the ordinary Catholic, we just have to get by trusting in the mercy of God. I think we're at a stage in the church's history and in the history of our world where we need to really rediscover the power of discipleship and understand a bigger context of why this is important. If I can try and explain it really simply, you know, if you, if you look at the history of the church, we started off with this radical call to imitate Christ and to become Christ in the world. You know, the, the, the follower of Jesus, the one who was baptized, was not meant to just be good, but in some sense, they were meant to be God. You know, I, I quoted in a previous episode that line from the second letter of St. Peter in chapter 1, verse 4, where he basically says that all of these graces and gifts have been given to us so that we can become participants in the divine nature. We're meant to be transformed into the very likeness of God. Now, as time went on, and as Christianity started to spread throughout the whole world, it became much harder to take people through an intensive journey of discipleship. You know, in the, in the early church, it would be three years of preparation before you got baptized. And after that, you would then still be going through an intensive journey with a, a close community with the intention that your life would be completely shaped into the likeness of Christ, even unto death, you know, even to the point of dying for Christ. Yeah, there's a beautiful line by St. Ignatius of Antioch. Ignatius of Antioch was sort of second-generation Christianity. You know, he was discipled by the apostles. He was the bishop of Antioch. He was arrested and being taken by a guard of prisoners to Rome, where he was going to be fed to the lions in the Colosseum. And he writes a letter to the church in Rome 
where he basically says, now my discipleship begins. He's been, a, he's been a bishop for decades. He's been faithfully following Christ all these years. But in his mind, the fact that he's now about to be eaten by a lion becomes the benchmark of discipleship. Now, a few hundred years later, this whole image changed radically. You know, when, when Christianity became the official religion of the Roman Empire, after the conversion of the Emperor Constantine and the, the Edict of Milan and all, all this change in the politics at the time, suddenly you've got thousands of people lining up to get baptized. They can't be taken through this intensive journey of discipleship. And so we start to lower the benchmark of discipleship. You know, simply going to Mass is good enough. Simply just doing the externals is enough. And over the centuries, this became sort of hardened into our culture. You know, we still had people experiencing this radical call to discipleship, and, and they would be the ones who would run away from the world into the monasteries or into the desert or into these sort of radical forms of, of living the gospel or living a missionary life. But we didn't expect that for the average person. Even though in the early church it was expected of everybody, we now had this sort of class division within the church or a, a division of expectation around holiness. In, in our modern world, I think we're now realizing that holiness is no longer a luxury, but it's a necessity. That as we start to see the direction that our culture is going, and as, as our culture is rapidly abandoning any remembrance, any memory of Christianity, we need saints. We, we need people who are, who are imitating Christ, who are actually being Christ in the world. Because we're living in a world where truth no longer means anything. And, and words can be redefined so easily. And so we need a living gospel. We need the word once again to be made flesh and living amongst us in the hearts of Christians. This is really the challenge that so, so many of our recent popes have put out to the church in terms of discipleship. There's a beautiful line by Pope Benedict XVI. He, he wrote a, a, an encyclical about hope called Spisalvi. And at part of this encyclical, he basically puts out a challenge around whether the good news is simply information or whether it's something that transforms us. If I can just quote what he says, he says, so now we can say Christianity was not only good news, the communication of a hitherto unknown content. In our language, we would say the Christian message was not only informative, but performative. That means the gospel is not merely a communication of things that can be known. It is one that makes things happen and is life-changing. The dark door of time of the future has been thrown open. The one who has hope lives differently. The one who hopes has been granted the gift of a new life. You know, he, he puts out this challenge that the, the message of Christianity is not meant to just be information, 
but it's meant to change how you perform or how you live. It's meant to be transformative, not just informative. This, I think, is the real challenge to the whole culture of our church. You know, for so long, we've, we've settled for the bare minimum, where as long as people know the truth and they're able to profess the truth, we won't necessarily expect them to live it. You know, there seems to be this understanding that when you die and go to heaven, as long as you have believed the right things, then that's your ticket to get through the pearly gates. The fact that you haven't lived any of those things will just be ignored by St. Peter. What we need to realize is that the mercy of God was given to us so that we could get to heaven. But the call to imitate Christ was given to us so that everyone else could get to heaven. You know, we have been given a commission to bring spiritual sanity to our world, to try and change culture, to try to be Christ to people who are not able to encounter Christ so that our world can start to be shaped into something which is actually going to bring people to what is truly good and beautiful. There's a, a Catholic author, a French author by the name of Georges Bernanos. I'm probably pronouncing his name completely incorrectly here, but he, he wrote a, a little short story many years ago basically imagining what would happen if we invited an agnostic to come to church and preach to us. And so the, the short story is called The Homily of, a, of an Agnostic on the Feast of St. Therese of Lisieux. And basically, it's his way of trying to reveal to the Catholics what the rest of the world thinks about us. If I could just quote a couple of lines from him, he basically says, and this is the agnostic speaking. You are the salt of the earth. So if the world loses its flavor, who is it that I should blame? He goes on to say, the New Testament is eternally young. It is you who are so old. Because you do not live your faith, your faith has ceased to be a living thing. It has become abstract, bodiless. Perhaps we shall find that the disincarnation of the word of God is the real cause of all of our misfortune. Many of you use the truths of the New Testament as initial themes out of which you compose a kind of orchestral variation inspired by worldly wisdom. Yeah, it's a challenging remark that he makes, you know, that particularly this idea of the disincarnation of the word of God, that the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us in the person of Jesus Christ, but the whole point was that we were meant to continue that. It was meant to continue to become flesh in us. And that was the place where it was meant to become real in the world around us. Yeah, there's a, there's a later point in this letter where he's basically challenging us to not just be people who celebrate the saints, but be people who are prepared to follow them. There's a little bit of a longer quote, if I can just address this, but he's He's talking about St. Francis of Assisi and, and St. Therese Lisieux. And after talking about the, the amazing way that Francis imitated Christ, he says, That advice was addressed to all of you, but not many followed it. You are rather like the legendary Italian soldiers waiting to attack. All of a sudden, the colonel snatches up his sabre, 
jumps over the parapet and charges off beneath heavy fire, all by himself crying, Avanti, Avanti, whilst his soldiers remain crouched under cover, electrified by such a display of valour, clapping loudly with tears in their eyes, saying, Bravo, Bravo. My dear brothers, I keep on saying the same thing because it always is the same thing. Had you followed that saint instead of applauding, Europe would never have known the Reformation, nor the religious wars, nor this horrible Spanish crusade. St. Francis was calling to you, but death did not pick and choose. Death descended on all of us. The danger is the same today. It must be even greater. The saint of Lisieux, he's referring to St. Therese Lisieux, whose prodigious career is sufficient token in itself of the tragic urgency entrusted to her, asks you to become as children. God is impenetrable, as you say, yet I cannot help thinking that this is your last chance, your last chance and ours. Are you capable of rejuvenating the world or not? You know, as I say, this is a huge challenge that he puts out. But I think it's a very important challenge because he's trying to say very clearly that discipleship is not just a luxury for those who want to feel spiritual. This has real-world consequences. You know, as he says, if the people at the time of Francis of Assisi had actually been inspired enough to follow him and to live the gospel as radically as he did, we would never have had these great disasters in history that followed in the centuries afterwards. When we look at our current state of our world, it's easy to sit back and, and pray for the world and to despair about the world and, and hope that Jesus will come again to fix it all up again. But maybe the real challenge is that Jesus does want to come again, but he wants to come in your life, that you would be the imitation of Christ, that you would be the one that brings the gospel into, a, into the world in a way that's real and credible and tangible for most people. So in the coming episodes, I want to break this open a little bit and try to raise the question of what does this look like for the average Catholic living in the world?